0: Amen. Please turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be walking through verses 38 through 41. And I called an audible partway through this week. And we're going to deal with this portion right here. And we're going to use this as kind of an introduction to uh, all of the miracles that we're going to see as we're walking through the Gospel of Luke. I'm hoping this will give us kind of a lens to rightly understand and categorize these miracles that we see, most especially the ones that are of of healing, raising from the dead and people being healed of very terrible sicknesses, um, ailments such as uh, being crippled, being blind. Reality, friends, is that sickness is something that is, uh, it's very personal. Sickness, pain, death, they're all things that we've experienced in one way or another. There's not a one of us here, at least the older of you, that that don't have someone that you care very dearly about Has experienced great sickness or have died. These are maladies that affect all people everywhere. And so passages like this, are very attractive. Passages like this can be very comforting to us when we read them and and we understand them rightly. Now, passages like this, as you see them in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, can be really distressing if you don't understand them properly, if you're not understanding them within their context and you're not understanding what is, is happening here. This is the first of two recorded instances of healing here in this passage. There's about 13 all together, and I want to use this. I want to hone in on this passage and kind of treat it as an introduction to healing within this gospel. Like I said, this is going to be a sort sort of great comfort, it can also be something that's, that's very distressing. If you don't understand these passages rightly, if you don't understand them in their historical context, if you don't understand them within their redemptive context, you can end up with guilt and legalism. They're asking, well, what should I have done differently here? Well, was I not believing right that I wouldn't have the same things happen in my life that people have Happening right here. So I'm going to approach this passage with a goal of answering two questions. The first question is What is the purpose of these healings? What is the purpose of these healings as we see them here within this gospel, as Luke has placed them here in the fourth chapter? What is the purpose here in this context? Secondly, How does this apply to us today? How do the healings that we see here in this passage, and many like this that are miraculous, that that are immediate, there's no healing time, they happen right there and right then to the people that are there. How do we understand that for us in our context? How does that apply to us right now? Here And I believe if you can understand a passage like this right, it can be a source of great comfort. So that's our first question. What is the purpose of these healings? Let's go ahead and read verses 39 through 40. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. So death and sickness are just realities that, and tragedies that affect all people everywhere. None of us... Is escaping these at this time. And although this is something that affects all people everywhere, Jesus is demonstrating here in this passage and in others like it that he has power over the consequences of sin. He has power over this. the consequences of sin when Adam fell in the garden were such that man began to die when you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. That is what they were told. At The point where they sinned, they began to die. And sickness and these various maladies that, that we see within this life are the effects of the sin of Adam. That's how we're born into the world. They affect all people everywhere, people on every continent, People of every ethnicity, people of every age are affected by the consequences of Adam's sin. And so the realities of this affect us in a great, great many ways. There's but two people that we can find in history recorded that did not die. We have Elijah and we have Enoch that are recorded. And the reality is that all of us are going to be affected by this. All of us are affected by this. And this is something that is is painful. It is disappointing. It it, it is traumatic. Um, And the reality is, is that we are becoming sick. We are dying as we are because things are not working as they were designed to work. That's the consequences of sin. Things are not working as they were designed to work. And Jesus is demonstrating His power here. He's sovereign over this. He's sovereign over the consequences of sin upon the body. And this is even part of the crushing of the head of the serpent, that Jesus is going to make right all that was made wrong. This is pointing forward to a time where there will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. The consequences of sin that are upon our bodies right Now, will not show themselves in glory. We talked about this in the 1689 class today. You, dear Christian, as we see in 1 Corinthians 15, will be given a new body. You will be raised to life in that new body. It will be a glorified body. It will not be like your old body. You will not get sick in glory. And so we need to understand it in that way. Understand also how this miracle happened. Peter's mother-in-law was healed instantly. Now, you think about it. Even when you've gotten better, suppose you've taken a cure of some kind. It's taken a time for you to get better. And even you, perhaps, you've, you've gotten better. You could say you're not sick. Doctor may even tell you, look, you're not contagious at this point. But you have the way that you feel after you. Have finished your recovery. You don't quite feel the same. There's still kind of a, a rebuilding that your body has during that time. How many of you, if you were very sick with the flu, that you didn't have a fever anymore, would immediately begin to serve someone? But that's what we see here. We see that this healing was immediate, and she immediately gets up and begins to serve them. And none of them are worried that she's going to get them sick. None of them are like, well, she's had a fever, and now she's serving us food. Some of you might be worried about it. It's not been 10 days. Luke is recognizing this. Luke is a physician. He's a doctor. And so he notices these particular details. And you'll you'll see that as we go through this gospel, that it, when it comes to healing, that Luke pays attention to certain details in these healings that other writers don't. And it's because of Luke's perspective. Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. And he recognized that Jesus was a greater physician than himself. And Jesus, as we see it here, laid his hands upon her and upon the other people. And so, instead of, you have the very opposite here. Don't miss this. If you are around someone who is sick, and you're associating yourself with someone who is sick, putting your hands, perhaps, on someone who is sick, the fear would be that you would get sick. Isn't that what happens? I'm sick. I need to stay away from other people. You're going to see this numerous times within this gospel, that Jesus is associating himself with people who are sick, people who have leprosy. He is doing what no priest in the Old Testament was supposed to do when someone has leprosy. You were not to put your hands upon someone who was a leper. That person was supposed to be out. They were supposed to be far away. They were supposed to be ringing a bell saying, unclean, unclean, unclean. The very opposite happens with Jesus. Jesus places his hand upon someone who is ill and they get well. And does Jesus get sick? No, he does not. Jesus places his hand upon a leper. Does he get leprosy? Absolutely not. See, that which was unclean had no effect upon Jesus. We see a beautiful, beautiful picture here that if you begin to look at passages like this and you make them just about, you getting some kind of healing yourself or God solving some tragedy happening in your life even, this is not to make any death not tragic, because it's very personal, it's very real, but we must not project our circumstances onto the Scriptures. We must not project ourselves into these narratives, for we divorce them from their meaning. We miss the purpose for which they are written. We misidentify what the authors are communicating There's something very significant here that is being communicated, and you absolutely have what will ultimately happen that's communicated here, that that the Lord is going to ultimately remove all sickness and death. We have that communicated numerous times in the Bible, most especially in the book of Revelation at the end. But we have something that I want to argue that is of even greater significance than that, and that is that of imputed righteousness that that is what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, that as we have prayed, as we have sung, that we are a people who are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are a people who have broken the law of God. We are a people who were hopeless, We are like that leper who is unclean and cannot be within the fellowship. We are cast out of the city. We are in outer darkness. We don't understand these terms in the same way now as people then would have understood it. As you got yourself out of the town, out of the city, into the woods, into the wilderness, it was very dark. And it wasn't so easy to keep light. We're so accustomed to pulling out our cell phone and turning on the flashlight. That's not the ability they had. That person that was cut off, when it was dark, it was night. You could not see for the most part. And these that were ceremonially unclean were cut off and put away. But Christ Jesus in his healings and him making them clean, making them pure, is sharing what Jesus does. For Jesus takes one who is unclean, one who is defiled, one who has sinned, one who has broken the law of God, which is every single one of us. We talked about this as we walked through the nine today. We walked through the sixth chapter, and this, this reality of, of total depravity as it is communicated very clearly in Romans chapter 3, as Paul is using various um, verses from the book of Psalms to communicate this reality that we are dead in our trespasses and sins and no one is righteous. That's what he says. And you might say to yourself, yeah, but I've got this, this, this great-grandmother. She was so sweet. No. Not even one, he goes forward and says. Not even one person is righteous. There's no one seeks after God. The venom of snakes is on their lips. That's how we are described naturally. That's our natural state. Hopeless, helpless, defiled. See, but the Lord Jesus Christ, that perfect Lamb of God, that sinless Lamb of God, did what you did not and could not do, which is to keep the law in every respect. Jesus never sinned in any way. He was always obedient. Jesus never stole. He never committed adultery. He never worshiped idols. He never coveted. He never committed murder. And many of us can say, you know, I haven't done that. I haven't done any of these things. All of this I've kept from my youth. Remember the rich young ruler? All of this I've kept from my youth. But Jesus reminds us in the Sermon on the Mount that God is looking at the heart. God, God is judging our actions from the heart through which they flow. The first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The first four commandments. How are you doing on that? Have you, are, are you keeping that one? Love your neighbor as yourself. Always treat people the way that you would desire to be treated. How are you doing on that one? That's our problem. Our problem is we don't love God rightly. We don't love our neighbor rightly. That is why one needed to come. The Lord Jesus Christ came kept the law in every respect to earn for his people the reward for perfect obedience to the law that is the opposite of what Adam did. Adam was here, he represented humanity and he fell and all who were in Adam fell with him. But all who are in Christ live. All who are in Christ have have life and life abundantly. Eternal life. Jesus took upon Himself in His passive obedience the wrath and curse of God. It fell upon Him. He is that sinless Lamb of God. You had there in the temple and the tabernacle an altar that was burning day and night. Burning and burning and burning. A reminder of the sin of the people. A reminder of their insufficiency. Even all that they would do in bringing forward a sacrifice, it is continuing to burn. But Jesus, upon the cross before His death, said, it is finished. It is finished. There is nothing else to add. There is nothing else that needs to be put upon that altar. His sacrifice was perfect. How would you add to perfection? You add anything to perfection, you make it imperfection. Christ was perfect. We must not bring the filthy rags of our self-righteousness to the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus took upon himself the sin of his people Did he become a sinner as we are sinful? No, he was resurrected. He was innocent. He was pure. He's fully God and fully man. and He took upon himself the consequences of our sin and was resurrected on the third day, pointing forward to what we have in store for us. Believe that, dear Christian. You have that in store for you. A resurrected body, glorified, no longer affected by sin. And so unlike those that, unlike us that would become sick from someone else, as Jesus healed these people, as He healed them of their ailments, as He healed them from leprosy, He was not so affected in this points forward. To what Jesus would do. Jesus taking upon himself the sin of the world. Taking upon himself the sin of his people. That they can be saved. This is my desire that you would see that first and foremost, dear friend. That you would see the seriousness of your sin. The depth of your sin. The greatness of your sin. And you would find no hope through your own efforts. You would find no hope through your righteous deeds. Through your good works, you would find hope in one place, in one place alone, in the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Oh, dear friend, stop trusting. Stop trusting in your own goodness. Stop trusting in your own good deeds. Stop trusting in your own sufficiency. but turn to Jesus Christ and be healed of your greatest ailment. You must see this reality that these healings were pointing forward to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. These are showing evidence of His messianic rule, that they are pointing forward to what the Lord will give to his people in glory. And they are most especially pointing forward to the work that he will do upon the cross and that he will save his people. They will no longer be dead. They will no longer be unclean. They will no longer be defiled. Second question I want us to answer We're going to spend more time on this question. How does this apply to us today? How do we understand this passage and others like it in the Scriptures? Here's the reality. There are great and wicked charlatans that live in this world now who like to keep up superstition, who like to pile up guilt upon the people of God, people that are suffering greatly in their bodies, people that are under great distress at this time, And they pile legalism and guilt upon them based upon passages like this. And I want to say this. That is a misapplication of a passage like this. That is a great misunderstanding of a passage like this. That is contrary to what Luke was communicating when he wrote this passage. The Lord Jesus Christ has promised us that he will make all things new in glory. We have a, a now and a not yet. You are going to have a resurrected body, dear Christian. You are going to have a body that is not going to be affected by sin. The aches and the pains that you experience now. The lack of function of parts of the body. People's ears don't work. People's eyes don't work. They have limbs that don't work properly. They're not born, formed rightly at times. It will not be this way in glory And some will say this question. We ask the question, why? Like Job asked the question, why? We see a great many people in Scripture ask the question, why? Someone may even say, walking through great sickness or ailment or pain or death of loved ones, they may say, why doesn't he just do it now? Why doesn't he just make all things new right now? Truth is, we can ask that question about any number of difficulties that we're walking through in life. Any number of inconveniences or pains. We can say, why doesn't he just remove this right now? You could ask the question about a dictator ruling over a country, abusing the people, abusing his power, taking the lives of people unjustly, stealing their property. Any number of sins that you see in our culture and the world around us you could ask that same question. Why doesn't he just eliminate all of this right now? Truth is, the Lord has a purpose for the difficulty and the pain that we experience in this life. The Lord has a purpose for that. Remember the parable of the wheat and the tares, that the wheat was planted, and there were tares that were planted among the wheat. And the wheat and the tares began to grow together. And they said, well, why don't we just yank up all the tares? Well, if you do that, you're going to take up the wheat as well. The Lord has a purpose here. It's going to continue to grow. And there will be a great harvest in the end. And there will be a great and holy threshing that happens in the end. And all is going to get separated. The Lord's allowing them to grow side by side. The Lord has a purpose even in pain and tragedy. And at the end, you will see God's ultimate purpose. It's hard to see that even now. that's That's not the reality that we're in right now. And the one that we've mentioned so many times before that I find to be so helpful when I'm looking at tragedy in life that I don't understand sometimes you can put your finger and you say, this person did this and that's why this is here. And there's times where you're looking at a tragedy and you're just like, why? What is the purpose in this? And I recognize my own ignorance. I recognize my own finiteness. Remember that God is infinite and I am finite. And I try to remember what the Lord has accomplished for me what the Lord has accomplished for you, dear Christian. Because I can see great injustice in this world. I tell you, when I think of the greatest act of injustice that I have ever seen, it is that of Christ Jesus being placed upon the cross. It, It is that reality of Lord Jesus Christ sinless, undefiled, being placed upon the cross, and I see that as that which is not just. He was not deserving of that. He was absolutely not deserving of that, and when I look at this greatest act of injustice, And I see this is the means that the Lord used whereby we can have life. Whereby the greatest act of redemption has come forward. Who am I to ever question any tragedy? The Lord has accomplished his good purpose there. The Lord sovereignly brought about his good purpose even through the unjustness of the death of Christ. And you can even look to the life of Joseph. And you can see God's sovereign hand. So we don't always have that. We don't always have that hindsight that Joseph has. We don't always have that, that time and sanctification and understanding that Joseph had. You remember, Joseph was thrown into slavery by his brothers. Brothers threw him into slavery. It was sinful, it was wrong. There was nothing right about what they did, but the Lord used even that sinful act of the, on their part to save their very lives. To save the lives of their family, and to save the life of most of the people in the known world at that time. For Joseph went to Egypt, and the Lord gave Joseph visions and gave him understanding of Pharaoh's dreams. And the Lord gave him an understanding and as he was even able to direct the powers that be in Egypt that they would save for the famine that would to come and the people were saved and as his brothers stood before him and they apologized Joseph looked and he said what you meant for evil the Lord meant for good we must trust the lord We must believe his promises. We must remember what the Lord has given to us. And we must remember the Lord has a sovereign and good purpose. Even for pain and suffering that we experience in our lives. So we must not project our suffering onto this text. These healings that we see in this text and others like it are miraculous healings. And you see them primarily in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. Um, it's one of the things that when John the Baptist is actually questioning whether or not Jesus is the Christ, he's in prison, he's asking himself questions. Maybe I'm not understanding something right here. I mean, the Messiah came and now I'm in prison. And Jesus tells his disciples to go back and tell him this. Luke 7, beginning in verse 22, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. These miraculous signs were pointing to the Messiah to come. They are pointing to the reality that Jesus is the one who will defeat sin And death. And these signs, these miraculous healings existed for a period of time in the life of the church for a particular purpose. There was even a a gift of healing. People had the gift of healing. First Corinthians 12 beginning in verse 29, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But Enos earnestly seek the higher gifts. These are people who had the ability to heal. They could walk around and heal someone, like you see Jesus doing in this passage. They are bringing him sick people. He is laying his hand upon them, and they are being healed. They no longer have the sickness. And so a great, all manner of maladies and sicknesses were being cured during this time period. These are very significant healings that happened. This wasn't, I've got a a headache, and that's being healed. We have people whose limbs are growing back. We have people who have been crippled their entire life. And now they're standing up and walking around. People who couldn't see from birth. Given the ability to see. And this was the sign. This is a sign of who Jesus was. And what Jesus was going to do. And so I'm saying that to tell you that this is not happening now. Be something that's difficult for you. Say, so, well, why wouldn't God just work the same way now as He did before? God works different ways at different times for different purposes. Don't let yourself be put under the guilt of theological certitude from someone else. Someone will tell you, "Oh, you're a Reformed Baptist." you don't believe the Holy Spirit is still working today. You're a Reformed Baptist. You don't believe God still works today? You don't believe that God can still do miracles? Don't let someone suck you into that. Don't let someone put that kind of pressure upon you as though you, you owe an answer to such loaded questions, certainly, certainly I believe God still works today. I believe the Holy Spirit is still working today. All Christians believe the Holy Spirit is working today if you are a Christian indeed. How would you have come to faith in Christ Jesus How would your eyes have been opened? How would you have been given understanding? How would you have seen the seriousness of your sin? But to make the statement that the gifts of healing are operating right now as they were in the first century and then going forward is contrary to the evidence that you have right before you. That's absolutely not true true. And even those, I will say this, that are claiming they have the gift of healing, they're claiming to be faith healers, they are not healing people the way that people were healed in the New Testament. You do not have people who have been dead three and four days whose bodies are decomposing that are coming back to life. You do not have people's limbs who who are growing back you do not have people who have eyes that don't work or wearing glass eyes, and then suddenly a new eye comes in and the glass eye is out. It's not what's happening. And most especially now, I don't talk about that, with everyone has a, a cell phone in their hand and they can record anything that happens when it's happening. Even those that are doing these so called healings at these great meetings with all this fanfare and all this music and the smoke and these lights, they're doing things that aren't verified. People's body parts aren't growing back. They're not coming back. It's not the truth, and there's plenty. I won't even go into it. There is significant investigative journalism that has been done at these meetings, at meetings like, as such as Benny Hinn, that has shown it is a total sham. It is a lie. They are deceiving people for personal gain. You can look the other direction behind this curtain and you can see a line of people that are legitimately crippled, that are legitimately injured, that never get a chance to go up upon that stage because they know, they know they will not be healed. And yet they let others on there and say, okay, well don't take your diabetes medicine anymore. Like that could have been verified. Like you're like you did a test on the pancreas and you know whether or not their body's operating properly. Things are not verified. Remember, I had someone many years ago. He had he had swore, no, no, it's true, Aaron, I swear. I, I was I was at a retreat and someone's leg grew back. It's like their leg grew back. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. You know, I talked to that man three years later. He didn't remember it. He didn't remember this person's leg growing back. He, he had just blurted something out at the time. We were having a conversation about passages in Acts and in 1 Corinthians, and he just made a statement that he had seen this before. Perhaps he's saying what someone else said they saw. I'm sorry, if he saw someone's leg grew back, I don't think he would have forgotten that. It's very different here what's happening in the Gospels, very different what's happening in the book of Acts. There's no question about it. The people are being healed. The people are being raised from the dead. In fact, the leaders, the leaders in this time period aren't disputing the fact that Jesus is doing miracles. They're rather arguing with him about whether or not someone should be carrying their bed on Saturday. They're arguing with him about whether or not he's allowed to heal people. There's no question he can do it. It's like but you're not doing it in a way that supports our legalistic understanding of religion. They didn't deny it. It sounds so holy, dear friends, to make statements like I believe the Holy Spirit still works today. Well, I would hope so. It it sounds so holy to say, "Well, I just believe that God can still do miracles." As though anyone is saying, as though any Reformed person is making a statement and saying, well, I don't think God has the ability to give someone sight. I don't think God has the ability to give someone the ability to walk. Well, no one is saying that. Jesus is demonstrating here his creative power, his ability to bring into existence that which is not in existence. Someone is dead and now they are alive someone cannot see and now they can see someone cannot walk and now they cannot walk now they can walk but who are we to ever presume upon the lord who who are we to ever tell the lord that he owes us something As though God owes us anything. As though we can make a demand from the Lord. As though we can say, this particular comfort in life is that which I'm deserving. Oh, dear friends, what do we deserve? But the wrath and the curse of God. And God has shown his mercy to us. God has shown his goodness to us. God God has shown grace to us. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. This word of faith theology. Though to the ignorant person it has a glimmer of wisdom for it has the certitude. It is not deep theology. It is some of the shallowest theology that has come forward in the 20th century. And it came forward very early on in the 20th century at a so-called revival in a place called Azusa Street in California where they claimed that they were doing things that were happening in the first century, that they were raising people to life, peoples again, people's limbs were going back. These things are not verified. Half of them were not even Trinitarians, that's the reality. That's where the United Pentecostal Church and the Assembly of God came about is they split. They were so busy doing all of their so-called signs and miracles, in practicing all of their sign gifts and prophecies and speaking in tongues, that they didn't even recognize that half the people there didn't even believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were three persons. They split and went different languages. But here's the damage of this theology. Here's the damage of this theology upon a Christian that is in the midst of pain, that is in the midst of suffering, that has a loved one that is dying, that has a loved one that is sick, that has cancer, that is struggling with something, is that it places great amounts of guilt and legalism upon those Christians, and guilt and legalism that needs not be there. Guilt and legalism that is not Appropriate for a Christian to be bearing. They'll say things, look, you'll be healed if you just have enough faith. Oh, how that gives the so-called faith healer a, a way out. That's not what you see with Jesus. You have Jesus healing people that are not demonstrating any faith. You have that happen many times. It is not as though the people that are healed by Jesus work through a series of actions in such a way that they resulted in being healed. Jesus was healing people. It wasn't even about the people he was healing, although it was good for the people that he healed. It's not ultimately about them. It was about pointing to who Jesus was. You can tell people, well, if you'll just have enough faith, then you'll be healed. And that person is praying and hoping and focusing and someone who has a child that has cancer the child's not healed and the question well maybe i just didn't have enough faith you have a husband that's injured he's not able to provide for his family and he's not being healed and he said well maybe i'm just not believing enough and this is a burden that you need not bear to your christian Your healing is not about you believing that God is going to heal you. That's not what you've been told to do. You aren't told that if you'll just believe enough, you will not have any difficulties in this life. You're not told if you just believe enough that you'll not have any sickness or death or cancer or financial difficulties. In fact, those in Christ experience a great many difficulties. I mean, you can look at the list of martyrs that have, we've had throughout history and we can see a great many difficulties that people experience because they are Christians. And then the legalism that is there. This legalism that is there. Well, if you'll just do these specific actions like this, If you'll come to this meeting and walk through in this way and believe in this way and you'll use the oil in this way. If you'll give money. Strange how the people that are pressing this terrible theology are always wearing some of the best clothes, always driving some of the best cars, always have some of the largest houses, are always, always, always asking for money and some of them directly tie the blessing you're going to get to the money that you receive and they Use so many Old Testament passages out of context. They will misunderstand covenant theology. They will begin to apply things to Old Testament Israel, to people here. Promises that you are not not given. You are not promised what they were promised in the Mosaic Covenant. You are not promised in this life that you will have wealth and you will have blessing. That is in the life to come, that is in the life to come that you are promised that you will not have sickness or difficulty. This is called an over-realized eschatology. These are promises that the Lord has given to us that in glory you will have, that you will not have sickness, you will not have death, you will not have pain, you will not have attacks from Satan in glory. We're not given that promise here and now in this life promised after the resurrection understanding our relationship with God rightly god doesn't owe us anything the ways in which i've seen people pray that 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 come at it from this word of faith perspective as though they have authority over god to demand god to do certain things i remember one time i was I was at a meeting, and I had never prayed with charismatics before, and I was, I was there. And so we had the different people were praying, so-called praying in tongues. But then we had others that began to just demand from God. And God, you're going to do this, and you're going to give us this, and you're going to, as though, like you shouldn't even talk to your child the way he was talking to God. You shouldn't talk to one of your employees the way this man was talking to God, and he was ordering God. And his facial, I mean, I opened my eyes with the prayer. I was like, I need to step away. I think there's going to be some blowback on whoever's in this prayer circle. This is not safe. Just tell God what he's going to do. And some take this to an area that's even more heretical. They will say, you're made in the image of God. That's true. The Bible says that we're made in the image of God. And God's able to speak things into existence. So you can speak things into existence. So you can just declare something. Why don't you try that? Okay? God said, let there be light, and there was light. You do that. Go stand in the darkness, and you make light. You call stars into existence. You call the planet into it. No, you don't have any of that happening. You have them declaring things that can't be verified most of the time. Declaring things that aren't being kept up with as to whether or not they even come to pass. Not at all what the Lord is doing. And these misunderstandings of passages like this, and misunderstanding of what these miracles are and what they pointed to, and this superstition and this legalism, didn't just begin in the 20th century in Azusa Street they go far back into church history. There is so much legalism and superstition that was tied into how the Roman Catholic Church practiced things. And all of the foolishness that you see even in modern days you see going backward where various relics let's take the bones of Stephen they claim the bones of Stephen did so many different things that if you'll just walk upstairs in this way and you'll do this or you'll do that In some way, you're going to be healed. Don't you see it now even? These very wealthy wealthy so-called faith healers are going back and striking people with their jackets, telling people, just send money, I'll send you some oil. Send money and I'll send you this oil that I prayed over that's going to heal you. saw another one. Praying over handkerchiefs. The most ridiculous that I ever saw was a man named Robert Tilton. And he had these prayer cards that were sent in to him that needed, were supposed to have money to go along with it that would really help in efficacy. And this charlatan claimed that he rolled over these prayer cards so much that he got ink poisoning. That's what he said. I got ink poisoning. He had to go to the doctor from ink poisoning from, from ink that was supposedly on these prayer cards. I, I don't think he thought that through. I think it's something he was there on the television. If you've ever seen the guy, it looks like he's making up whatever he's doing half of the time. This is not Christianity. This is not pious. This is not holy. This is not believing in God more. This is not the apostolic tradition. This is not what we are called to in the epistles. This is not what we're called to in the Old or New Testament. This is putting guilt and legalism upon people who are experiencing physical suffering, who are walking through difficulties and pain. What does Paul say for people to do who are sick? Does he say send off for handkerchiefs? Make sure you buy the oil that's been prayed over. Does he say send your prayer cards in for the man to roll over? Does he say you need to have someone who needs to hit you with their jacket? That's an incredible one. That's an incredible one. No. He says go to the elders, have them pray for you. It doesn't have a guarantee that you're going to be healed. Certainly, sin can cause you to be ill. You certainly. You can do certain things that can lead you to be sick. You can abuse certain things that can affect your body and can hurt you and hurt other people. But I'm talking here about things that are very general. We must not go into superstition and legalism because it is debilitating. It is debilitating the spiritual growth. And you are robbing yourself from doing what the Lord would have you do at that time as you walk through the suffering and pain. It is debilitating. It is a distraction from what the Lord would have you to be doing. We must not give people instructions the Lord has not told us to give them. We've not been told to pray over some oil and mail it to people or to mail people handkerchiefs. We've not been promised that if you send money in a certain place that you will absolutely have healing. None of that is what we are instructed to do. You can go to the Lord and you can pray, but the Lord has a purpose for us. Even in our suffering. Even in our pain. Even in our difficulty. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. The blessing isn't the suffering but the blessing is the lord working in you through your suffering paul wrote to timothy he had a stomach ailment he didn't say look timothy you're just not believing enough he didn't tell timothy don't say you're sick don't say that word speak contrary to that say there's nothing wrong with my stomach my stomach is well no he gives him a remedy to deal with it now you must not lie it's a violation of the ninth commandment if you're sick you're sick you don't say i'm not sick you're not sick because you said you're sick under normal circumstances it's delusional or it's lying one of the two and neither of those is virtuous Neither of those is virtuous. But wait. But wait, Pastor. Don't you think the Lord still heals people now? How many of you had someone that you prayed for and they were healed? We had people that that were dealing with things that doctors were looking at under investigating x-rays, other, other forms and tests they did, and they like, this, this person is, is not going to make it, and they were prayed for, and the person lived. So does God still heal people? Yes. God heals people each and every day. Each and every day that you're, the Lord is maintaining your body, that you're continuing to live, the Lord is giving you life. The Lord controls the whole world providentially. That is what he is doing, and the Lord absolutely will providentially act in a way to save someone, to protect someone in an accident of some kind, to heal someone. I mean, some of you know people, they've been in serious accidents, and they, they were so close to death and they lived. Do you like if, if this had been over just a few inches over here, that person would not have lived. And what do we do in that circumstance? We say, Praise be to God. We thank the Lord for his provision. We thank the Lord for his protection at that time. We thank the Lord that someone's life has been healed. But that's not the same as what's happening here. I understand we like to throw around the word miracle or miraculous, and I'm not gonna argue with you every time that someone uses the word because I understand what you mean. But we have something very particular here in these passages which are signs. They're miraculous signs that exist for a purpose at this time for a particular reason. And if you think about even the times where you've had someone that was healed in just a great way, the, the cancer is gone. We have that happen. We have someone whose life was spared in a great accident. We don't have people coming back to life after they've been deceased for four days we we don't have people whose limbs that are growing back these are very specific almost creative acts that are happening by God it's almost like a recreation at that time is, is, is what is happening so what do we do with this the Lord has the ability to providentially heal people we all agree with that The Lord has the ability to save people from tragedy and even protect them from pain and death. So why doesn't he always do it? If the Lord can do this, why doesn't he always do it? The Lord has a purpose and he is redeeming this world. He is redeeming even Your life, dear friends, He is bringing purpose to that which was purposeless. He is bringing order to that which was disorderly. He is bringing life to that which was was void. And the Lord is bringing purpose even in times of difficulty and tragedy. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to become formed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified and those he justified, he also glorified. All things work together for the good of those who are called in Christ Jesus. All of it. That's what you need to trust. You remember, you remember where this is going. Ultimate glorification. You will be resurrected. You will live in perfection with Christ Jesus, no longer will the effects of sin be upon you, but the Lord has a purpose in your life even now. And he has a purpose even for the times of trial, suffering, pain, and death that you walk through. And I think that's, what, that's one of the sad consequences of the word of faith theology, is that you're missing the opportunities that the Lord has for you in your your suffering in your difficulties it's an over realized eschatology you're making your religion all about you you're making your religion all about your comfort Jesus did not walk upon the earth really seeking out his own comfort and he didn't live a perfect life and die upon the cross, that you would walk about in your life making a religion that is centered around you and your comforts. I mean, pray tell, what what place does the book of Job have in word of faith theology? What place does the suffering of Job have What guidance can it give us? He just wasn't believing enough. All we can just see is a list of things that Job wasn't doing, and that's why he he was where he was. And you can find the Lord at the end of Job, dealing with each of these errors that his friends had. You can see the Lord calling them out for the very things that you will have a word of faith teacher telling you that you're supposed to do No, the Lord is declaring. He is declaring that He is the Messiah. He is declaring that He is the Son of God. The demons in verse 41 seek to declare that through their words, but the Lord is declaring it through His actions. And it's pointing forward to what the Lord will accomplish. In glory for all of those that are in Christ Jesus. He's declaring his, his Messiahship. To what is the purpose of these healings? They're pointing to Jesus, they're pointing to his goodness, they're pointing to what he will accomplish, they're pointing to what he is accomplishing in his people. And in their lives. And how do we understand these today? We understand it rightly. We understand that Jesus was here at this time and he was declaring his messianic rule. And he was overthrowing the powers of Satan and he was demonstrating this reality by bringing life to people and by healing people. And this is pointing to that which is more important to us than even physical healing, which is a spiritual healing. Which is a mending of the relationship between man and God. You can have peace with God. Don't you see that, dear friends? You can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You can have peace with God. No longer do you need to walk down the road of legalism, no longer do you need to walk down this road of superstition. and trusting in talesmen's, and trusting in superstition realities. No, you can have true life and true healing in Christ Jesus. And dear friends, in Christ Jesus, you can even have purpose and hope in a time of trial and suffering that you can lose all that you have in this life You can lose your sight. You can lose your hearing. You can lose your ability to move. Lose your ability to speak. Lose your ability to think. You can lose your very life. You can lose all of your wealth. You can lose your connections. You can lose your home. And that which is lost for Christ will be paid back many times over and glory and no one will be able to snatch that from you for it is secure that's what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ we have peace with God we have that hope and glory that we will reside with him forever and we have that reminder that Christ is going to finish his work. He is going to accomplish all that is necessary. Sin will be ultimately eliminated and destroyed once and for all. And we will reign with him for all eternity. If you are, in fact, in Christ, dear friend.